0: God's a great God, and I'm so thankful that he has worked in these ways to bring him to this point. All right. So I don't get yelled at from a few people who can't make it to church. There we go. Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. The beginning of the Christ. Today we're going to look at the circumstances revolving around the birth of Jesus Christ. And as we observe the details, hopefully we can draw some real life applications that will help us draw closer to Jesus Christ in our walk with Him. Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 10 through 14 and following. We're going to kind of bounce around Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 9, and then coming into Matthew chapter 1. This morning, the beginning of the Christ child, Isaiah chapter 7, I want to begin reading verse 10, if you'd follow along. It says, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, but Ahaz replied, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. As we look at this, you're seeing the beginning of the prophecy that is about to be fulfilled. Ahaz is being challenged to trust God rather than the Assyrians as he faced uh, threats from Rezin and Pekin. In fact, in verse 9, you see right away, it says, uh, in, in, in verse 9, the chief city of Ephraim is Samaria, and the chief of Samaria is the son of Romalia, and if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. There is battle going on, there is threats taking place, there is rumors of war that are on the verge of taking place, and it's chaos in the land. And Ahaz is being challenged to stand up for his faith, and as he says there at the end of verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. And I think that is a principle that still rings true to this day, right? That we need to stand for something. In fact, I think it was many years ago, there was a song that was about it, If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. We need to stand up for what we know is right, for what we know is truth. So Ahaz here is being challenged to trust God. And uh, you see, the purpose of the sign was to give Ahaz even more confidence in God. See, he's being challenged here in verse 10. The Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. He said, you name it. Just lay it out there from the from the deepest of the depths to the highest of heavens. It doesn't matter. He said, ask for a sign so that God will give you this confidence. And then all of a sudden you see Ahaz's response. Um, Ahaz's reply really was a false piousness. You know, if you just kind of glance over it, you kind of think, well... You know, this this spiritual man, Ahaz, uh, I mean, you know, hey, I'll I'll not ask. I will not test the Lord. It's really a false piousness here, a false spirituality, because really he had no confidence in God at this point. And there's chaos going on in the land. So Isaiah's response reveals something interesting here. He says, listen, house of David, it is not enough for you to try the patience of men. Will you also try the patience of my God? What is he implying here? He is implying that Ahaz, you've drifted. You're not trusting God. Are you also going to try my God? He's insinuating that his God was different than his God, and so he's challenging him here uh, to stand up to the plate, step up to the plate here and to trust God. So Ahaz has a total lack of faith here, but you know I know something here: there is coming a day. There is coming a day. And notice amidst all the chaos, the doom, the gloom, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But look at verse fourteen. He says, "Therefore, there is coming a day. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign, and see the virgin will conceive and have a son, and the name and name him Emmanuel, which we know according to Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, is God with us." There might be chaos now, but there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will come to this earth and he's going to take care of all these things. Therefore, so you can get, begin to get a glimpse of what is what it was like just prior to and at the time of Jesus' birth. There is darkness. There is fighting and war. There is a lack of trust in God. There is gloom and doom. In fact, we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not look like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea and the land of the east of the Jordan and the galley of the nations. But what's he saying here? Nevertheless, the gloom and the distressed land will not be the same. There's doom and there's gloom. There's, there's like no very little hope for those who are involved here. But something interesting happens here. It sounds like God had to humble the land and notice Times of blessing came after times of humbling. And we see this. Times of blessing come after times of humbling. In fact, look over, if we go on just in in chapter 8, beginning with verse uh, 1. I'm sorry, verse verse 6. Actually, verse 5 says, The Lord spoke to me again. So this is something that's a reoccurring message. It's something that God had to continuously remind them of. Look at verse 6. Because these people rejected the slowly flowing water of Shiloh and rejoiced with resin. Now remember, resin is the enemy of God. Resin was who Ahab was being challenged to stand up against. So he said they, re- they rejoiced with resin, the son of Remaliah. The Lord will certainly bring against them the mighty rushing water of the Euphrates River. The king of Assyria and all his glory. It will overflow its channels and spill over all its banks. It will pour into the Judah, flood over it, and sweep through, reaching up to the neck. And it's flooded its banks. We will fill your entire land, Emmanuel. Band together peoples and be broken. Pay attention, all you distant lands. Prepare for war and be broken. Prepare for war and be broken. He says it twice. Devise a plan, it will fail. Make predictions, it will not happen, for God is with us. You see, there had to be a humbling before God would bring the blessing. And I wonder sometimes, do we need the humbling as a nation? Seems like we're, we're going through spurts of that, doesn't it? where God is allowing us as a nation to see the fact that we're not as great as we think we are. We don't have it all together like we think we do. And there are times that we are even ridiculed by other nations under the sun. We don't have it as great as we think we have it. Oh, we are blessed. Don't take me wrong. We are blessed as a nation. Far above any other one. And I'm thankful for that. But we don't have it all together like we think we do. And we see here in in Isaiah chapter 8 that there is a humbling before the blessing could come. And I wonder if we don't need that humbling. I don't know. I I don't want one. I wouldn't ask for a humbling. But I wonder if we need one. I wonder if we need to be reminded of how great God is and how weak we are. So there's this struggle that has taken place. And he says this, took place during the reign of Ahaz back in chapter 7, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. But they were not able to conquer it. There's battle, and there's loss, and there's gloom. And they're trying to do everything that they know to do, but it's not working. And that's why he says down there in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, because of all these things, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and have a son and call His name Emmanuel. Then we come into Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when He humbled the land of Zebulun. In the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea. To the land of the east of the Jordan. And to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Once again, you want to know what it was like before Christ was born? Darkness. Gloom. Verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time. As they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke, and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. What happened? They went through the humbling, and God is now beginning to bless. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then we come to verse 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be made wonderful counselor. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. It goes on to say that his dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The child will be born. The government will be upon his shoulders. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast. His prosperity will never end. I I think those are all things that they could really attest to his wanting in their lives at that point. They wanted rest from the chaos. They wanted peace from the war. They wanted light from the darkness. These are all good things that, that the Christ child would bring. So keep in mind what it was like during the time that Jesus Christ was born. When he was prophesied, he would come. Now turn over to Matthew chapter uh, 1, if you would. Matthew chapter 1. And it says from the throne of David. And when we see that right away in, in Matthew chapter 1. All the way from Abraham to David, 14 generations from the seed of David, see in verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David unto the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And then as we come, prophecy is going to be fulfilled here. So if you would follow along as I begin reading verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about on this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are now to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's amazing that he will save his people from their sins. Just as it was required for Ahaz to trust God, so must all people trust God for salvation. That was the very reason he came. We could sit there and plan about the Christmas season and worry about what's going to happen next and how we're going to do this and that and plan all of the things that we think are important to the season. But the real reason that Christ came to this earth is not so that we can pass presents around a Christmas tree on on Christmas Sunday morning. But it's all there so that we might know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the reason. And it sounds so trite and so cliche, Jesus is the reason for the season. But it's absolute truth. Absolute truth. And we need to understand that this season is an opportunity for us to tell people the real reason why we celebrate Christmas. The birth of Jesus Christ. Prophesied to come in a day of doom and gloom in a world of darkness, a world of oppression. You see, it was more than just that. I mean, there, here's Jesus coming and he's going to take care of the Roman authority, right? We'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But he'd be the wonderful counselor. Why? Because he know, he would know what to do. He would know how to handle the circumstances of the day and age in which everyone, everything was taking place. Mighty God, he would be powerful, more powerful than any other uh, uh, subject that would ever be seen before. Eternal Father, Everlasting Father, I mean, he, here he is going to provide eternal life. The Prince of Peace, peace in the midst of chaos. And his dominion will be vast. I mean, think about this. Prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And we see that his dominion is vast. I mean, just think about this just for a moment. I don't have the exact answer. But how many believers have come and gone since this prophecy has taken place? Millions upon millions were born into this earth, who've committed their faith and trusted Jesus Christ. Some have passed on to glory. Are in eternity with, with, our, or with our Heavenly Father. His dominion is vast. His prosperity never, ends. he blesses those who follow him. So we see that he came to save their people from their sin. And just as it was required for Ahaz to trust God, and as he was challenged to trust God, so must all people trust God for salvation today. The people throughout or thought that Jesus would be the incoming king who would overthrow the Roman government. Not the case here. Jesus had come to bring salvation to the lost and bring light to a dark world, not to take over a Roman government. But you can understand why they would think that. But not only just notice the circumstances of the day and age in which he came, but notice secondly the circumstances of Jesus' birth. We see this in verse 18 and following once again. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together. The idea there behind came together. There was no sexual relationship involved at this point, as of this point. But she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit, as God's Word says. She was born of a virgin. Or he was born of a virgin. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. The birth came following Mary's engagement to Joseph. The Jewish custom, the engagement was, in reality, the same as marriage. In their custom, it was the same. Once she was betrothed, once she was engaged, it was the same as being married. The engagement was legally binding. The engaged couple could not live together or be sexually active together during the time of engagement. And the only way to end the engagement was through divorce. The real factor here is commitment. Now think about that. Commitment is something that's lost in today's world. In so many aspects. Commitment is lost. But the real factor here is commitment. You see, Joseph was willing to divorce Mary to save her public shame. Or save her from public shame, I should say. But the angel of the Lord intervened and told Joseph to not be afraid and to go through with the marriage, to Mary. We see that in verse 20. But what we also see from the life of Joseph in this aspect of commitment is that he obeyed the Lord's command and to, and took Mary to be his wife verse twenty four look at that verse it says when Joseph woke up he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him he married her and still verse 25 did not have sexual relationship with her until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus it's an amazing story but willing to divorce her secretly so that she would be hidden from public shame. But the idea here is that they are committed, and he obeyed the command of the Lord. And as a result of it, God began to work and use them to accomplish his will. So here's what I know so far. Here's what I know from God's word. Times of blessing came after times of humbling. We see that in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 8. Is there a possibility that we need to be humbled personally? Maybe even as a corporate group or as a nation, do we need to humble ourselves? What did he say in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14? If my people who are called by my name would what? Humble themselves. Just a thought here for us all to consider. I would rather humble myself than for God to have to humble me. Because I think God's humbling might be a little bit more difficult than our own personal humbling. You want to understand what I'm saying here? God's got a bigger fist, a bigger paddle. And you know what? That's not to say that he's mean or unjust because he's absolutely just and righteous and holy. But I think there's times that we need to honestly take an inward evaluation of our own life and say, you know what, I'm at fault here. There's sin in my life I need to deal with. And I do need to be humbled because my arrogance, and my pride, my selfishness is just huge. Guys, how about it? I think we need the humbling sometimes. But to realize that times of blessing come after times of humbling. The nation experienced it. And sometimes we need to experience it as individuals. Number two, here's what I've learned from this passage. There was a lot of chaos, doom, gloom, and distrust for God before Jesus came. They're awaiting the birth of the Christ child. What is it that we are waiting for today? The return of Christ, right? We're waiting to spend eternity with him. At least I hope that we are. I would hope that we're looking forward to that day. And I have to think that just as they were waiting for the coming child, we're waiting for the return of Christ. There's still chaos. There's still doom and gloom. There's still darkness in the world that we live in. There's still distrust for God. Has anything really changed in a couple thousand years? Honestly? I don't think so. I think we're still waiting for God to do something great. We're still waiting for God to show himself. In the last several weeks, several people have passed on to glory. One in our midst, um, others around, you know, related to family members in our church, other people in other churches nearby, Hamlin. A lot of people have passed on to glory in the last couple of weeks. You know what? I'm a little bit jealous of them. A little bit excited for them because they get to be absent of the body, present with the Lord. I mean, how bad can that be? That's why Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die is what? Gain. Meanwhile, there's going to be chaos. There's going to be... Do- I mean, just watch the news. For crying out loud, I hate watching the news. There's a, I, I've seen the other day, there's a part of me that I want to watch everything that comes out of the news so I can see what's going on. And the other part of me gets ticked off because I just heard everything I wanted to hear. It's just crazy. And if you believe everything that the news anchors say... There is absolutely no hope, none. North Korea is going to bomb us with a missile. Um, Russia is telling secrets on us. I don't know. There, there, you pick, pick your pick your poison. But there's a lot of chaos, and it's no different today. Number three, one thing I've, another thing I've learned from this passage: there was a purpose for Jesus coming to Earth. And it wasn't to serve their own purposes. Here's a man who's going to come, be born, he's going to take care of the Roman government. No, he's not. That's not why he came. See, all of us have a reason why we're following Jesus. Just like all of them had a reason they were following Jesus. Some followed because they might want to see him do a miracle. I mean, let's get in on the show, let's see what's taking place. Some followed him because they they needed him to do a miracle in their own life. And they believed he could. Others were just there along for the show. But the real purpose that he came was to seek and to save the lost. So if that was Jesus' purpose in coming to this earth, should that not be part of our purpose in being here on this earth? Let's ask the question again. I've been asking it a lot lately. When's the last time we've shared our faith? When's the last time that we lived out the purpose for which Jesus came to this earth in our own life? So well, I'm not Jesus. No, you're not. Neither am I. But we're to be a picture of Jesus. We're to be like Christ. And if part of Jesus' purpose was to point others to God the Father, what ought to be part of our purpose? To point others to God the Father. And we have an opportunity this season to do just that. We have an opportunity right now to tell people why it is that we celebrate Christmas. And you know what I find? That this time of the year is a whole lot easier than most of the other time of the year when people aren't in a good mood. People are in a good mood around Christmas a lot of times. And then number four, what I know from the passage. There was a need for Joseph to trust God in the details. See, if Joseph would have done what he wanted to do, what he thought was the best step to take, he would have divorced Mary. Save public shame. Save ridicule. But instead he chose to exercise commitment and obedience in the details. I can probably stand before you today if if Joseph were right here and say he didn't understand God, what God was doing fully. I don't think any times... I think there are a lot of times in our life we don't understand fully every little thing that God is doing. Do we? I don't think so. There are things that God allows in our life. It's like, why did you do that? That's not what I would have done. It's not how I would have saw it. It's not how I would have planned it. And God says, that's why I'm God and you're not. I know, that, I know things that you don't know. And that's where we have to trust God in the details because I don't know them. I would have never guessed that would have taken Judd months and months and months and months of going back and forth and back and forth to finally get to this day. Sign up, go. But God had other plans, details. All of us are experiencing those things. And I have to wonder, do we need to trust God in the details of our life? All these things are happening to bring about God's purposes not our own. And you're going to see that as his purposes are fulfilled, great things are going to happen. That's why he could say down here, verse 22, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which is translated what? God is with us in all the details, in all the aspects of our life. That's why when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord commanded him. He married her and continued to be faithful and obedient to what God had for him. Next week, we're going to see that Jesus was finally born and it changes the entire scope of the world. To this day, the world is not the same because of the birth of one man, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think there's times that we just need to humble ourselves. And you trust God, fulfill his purpose, and just be obedient. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the day. We thank you for how you've worked in our lives, Lord, and we were able to celebrate This season and what you're doing in our lives. Lord, the day in which you were born was a difficult day to live. Chaos, darkness, and yet you remind us over and over throughout the book of John that you came to be the light of the world, to bring light to a darkened world. And Lord, sometimes we forget that you're still in control. We're not. And I ask God that you would do that work in our heart and our life, Lord, today that we might see that you are in control. That your will is perfect. That you make no mistakes. God, would you draw us closer to you?